Well, welcome to uh, Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent. If you, if you grew up in a, 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 a more uh, liturgical kind of a, a, a church background, uh, we're, we're out of ordinary time, as they call it, and we're into one of the special times of the year. These four Sundays where we lead up to the, the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And uh, we have our little Advent wreath here, and it's basically a countdown timer is what it is. So we go through these four Sundays uh, in order to eventually count down to the arrival, the celebration uh, of the birth of, of Jesus. And it's really interesting if you come from a, a liturgical background where you had uh, readings and every week there was a calendar of readings, the readings for the first Sunday of Advent uh, most of the time will take you to the second coming of Christ. So Matthew 24 uh, or, or prophecies that think about the, 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 the coming of Christ, but even beyond that to the second coming of Christ. And then the closer you get to Christmas Day, the, the more near those readings become. And so it's a way of, of doing a couple of things. It's a way of focusing our attention on the second coming of Christ, which is what we hope for, right? And it's a, it's a way of focusing our attention on the second coming of Christ and doing that by drawing us in to the fact that he came the first time, you see. So it's a countdown time where we celebrate the first coming, but in doing that, we also look forward to the second coming. And so that's why many times, thematically, the Sundays of Advent will center around hope, in particular on the first Sunday, because uh, hoping is something that is future-oriented, right? And so we think about the second coming of Christ, and our hope is encouraged because we remember that He came the first time, and that encourages us. And we're going to think about that today uh, in our text. And I'm, I'm glad that you did that song, Chris, because the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a song of hope, isn't it? It's a song that is sung by people who are longing for a Savior. And of course, we know that Jesus has come, but we're still longing, aren't we? We're longing for His second coming, uh, where He comes to take us to be with Him. Uh, so uh, let's pray, and then we're going to look in Luke chapter 1 and think about hope together. Father, you are good, and as we think about uh, Christmas, as we think about the celebration of the incarnation, uh, where you broke into our space in the, in the sun, uh, taking on flesh, Father, uh, born to die, as it were, for our sin. We, we rejoice. And Father, we recognize that uh, we live in a difficult world, and so oftentimes we need, uh, we need these opportunities to remember, uh, to remember uh, what you've done. And so, Father, we look forward to these weeks of Advent where we can draw our attention uh, to the, the birth of our Savior, Jesus, uh, in order to remember uh, what he did in dying uh, on the cross for us. So, Father, even as we look at your word, we pray that you would encourage our hearts. We pray that you would do a work in us through your spirit. And then, Father, as we go from this place, would you help us to be your ambassadors, uh, your representatives, especially at this time of year 
uh, where people might be a little more sensitive to spiritual things, we pray that you would use us in the hearts of people around us. Would you take a few moments quietly, don't say anything out loud, but just pray that God would speak to your heart today. And then again, just silently, would you just pray for me that God might speak uh, through me this morning? Well, again, Father, we thank you for your goodness. And we, uh, we need you. We come humbly before you. Uh, we acknowledge uh, that we need you to work in us, to transform us. Father, I need you to speak through me. And so we give ourselves to you, and we pray that you would do your work in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's it like in, in your life right now? Uh, this is kind of what I feel like uh, at the moment. Maybe you feel this way too. Plates spinning in the air, and you know that, man, if one of them falls, then everything else is just going to come uh, tumbling down. And, and then... Someone asks you if you're ready for Christmas, and it's like, oh man, are we doing that again? You know, didn't we do that last year? What's going on? It's this, uh, uh, you know, I was telling someone the other day, Christmas is the same time every year, and it always seems to sneak up on me, right? It always seems to, to catch me uh, off guard. And, uh, you know, the danger for us is that this time of year, Christmas, can become just one more thing that we just have to get through, right? It's like, oh, man, here's another thing on my list. If I can only get through this, then things are going to be great. It becomes almost a microcosm of every other day, uh, maybe, in our, in our busy, busy, distracted lives, we are easily distracted, aren't we? Our attention is easily diverted from what is really important. Uh, it's easy for us to become distracted. It's easy for us to become discouraged, isn't it? It's easy for us to feel like that, that these plates that are spinning, that this weight that is on us that we feel, these burdens that we carry are, are overwhelming at times. Uh, and it becomes discouraging to us. But there's power in stopping. There's power in stopping to remember, uh, certainly at this time of year, uh, remembering the hope that Christmas points us to. Stopping to consider the encouragement for our souls uh, that we can derive as we reflect upon what it means that Jesus was born all those years ago. Maybe you've forgotten the hope that Christmas points us to. Maybe you've forgotten uh, and you need a reminder that it is at Christmas that God the Son broke into our world, broke into our story. He became one of us in order that He might save us because He loved us. See, look, uh, we, we need Christmas because we are easily distracted, and apart from a set time where we can stop and actually reflect, most of us won't do it. Most of us won't stop and reflect on what God 
has done. Uh, We are a people who lose hope easily, aren't we? We are a people who are easily overwhelmed by the circumstances in our lives. We, we look around uh, at the difficult times that we experience, and often we throw our hands up and we say, God, is this all there is? <laughs> or or we, maybe we even say something like, God, are you even there? God, are you able even to accomplish what you said you would accomplish? Are you, are you faithful to your promises, the promises that you've made to me, right? And we need a time to remember that God is faithful, that he does do what he said he will do, that he hasn't forgotten us. And maybe you need to hear that today, personally, that that God hasn't forgotten you, that he hasn't forgotten you. It's so often true of us that we forget that. And it was certainly true for Israel in the first century. In Luke chapter 1, where we pick up this story, Rome was in charge. They were the big boys on the block, and they were in control. And the nation was under their, uh, their rule. Rome was in charge. Herod the Great was set up as king, not because they wanted him to be, but because Rome wanted him to be. And the people are losing hope if they haven't already lost it, that God would be faithful to send the Messiah, the deliverer that he had promised so many centuries before. And so they're just going through the motions, maybe, every day trying to do the best they can to obey the commands and the requirements that God had given them. And around 4 B.C., scholars tell us, we see this story of this priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And in it, these people see the dawning of hope. That this might be the time that God might actually be doing what he said he would do. And we see that too if we have the eyes to see it. Uh, A reminder of the hope that Christmas brings. God is going to come to this couple, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and to a nation who are mired in hopelessness. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 1. Let me introduce you to this couple. Luke chapter 1, look in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Luke wants us to see straight away the pedigree of these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they are exemplary. Uh, they are exemplary. Look in, uh, in, in verse 5, they both come from a priestly line. Uh, he is uh, of Abijah. She is a daughter of, of Aaron. Uh, they are they are. 
their pedigree is impeccable coming from the priestly line. And they are faithfully righteous. In verse 6, they are blameless in their keeping of the law and the commands. They're an exemplary couple. They love God, but they have no children. They're, they're barren. In verse 7, they have no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. We see it again uh, in verse 18. I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, in that day, barrenness was a disgrace. And maybe some of you come from cultures where barrenness is looked down upon or seen as a punishment from God, a reproach. And that's the way it was in this particular time as well. That for a woman to be barren was seen as a punishment from God. Now we know from the text that that's not the case. They're, they're righteous, they're blameless in their keeping uh, of the commands. They were faithful. And so right away we know that the barrenness of Elizabeth is not down to sin. And that moves them into a different class of people. It moves them into the class of people like Abraham and Sarah. Uh, people like the mother of Samson. Uh, people like Hannah, the mother of Samuel. People who are not barren because of sin, but are barren because God has set them apart to do something miraculous and special in and through them. And so right away, if we have the eyes to see it, we should see this and think, okay, what is God going to do? Is he going to do something special here? We wonder, maybe he'll do something like he did with Sarah here with this couple. Well, let's continue on. Look in verses 8 to 10. Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. Now, in this particular time, there were about 18,000 priests in the land that were ministering. And those 18,000 priests were divided into 24 divisions. And then those divisions were divided into orders of between four and nine priests. And every, uh, twice a year, every division would serve a one-week term. And so the time has come for uh, Zechariah's division to serve. And they would cast lots for everything, everything that had to be done in the temple. They would cast lots to see who got to do what particular job. And they rotated uh, in their service. Now at this point, the main thing that took place was two times a day, in the morning and then around three or four in the afternoon, an offering was made and incense was lit, which symbolized the prayers of the people going up to God. And particularly in that evening offering, the, 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 the faithful worshipers would gather and they would all offer up their prayers as the offering was being made and the incense was being lit. And so what happens, verse 9 is really significant here, because this only happened once 
in a priest's lifetime of service. Verse 9, according to the custom, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn the incense. So once in the lifetime of a priest, he might have the opportunity to go into the holy place and offer the incense up before God. Remember, in the structure of the temple, you have the holy place where you have the table of the showbread, you have the lampstand, you have the the incense altar, and then you've got the veil. And just behind the veil is the holy of holies, right? It's the, 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 the symbolic presence of God. And so once in a priest's lifetime, he would have the opportunity to go and to, to light the incense, a veil removed from the very presence of God. It was the ultimate honor in a priest's career. And Zechariah is chosen. He, his, his number is drawn. It's like winning the lottery, right? His number is drawn. And he is the one who's able to go in and offer this sacrifice. And again, in verse 10, this is probably an evening sacrifice because as he's going in, the multitude of the people are there and they are offering up prayers. What are they offering? What prayers are they offering up? Well, they're probably asking God to fulfill his promises. These national promises that God had made to the people of Israel to provide a king, to provide a deliverer who would rescue them from Rome, uh, who would establish his kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and, and justice. And think about it. There had been 400 years, roughly, since the last prophet had spoken. And here the people are every day offering up their prayers. God, will you send your deliverer? God, will you rescue us? God, will you do what you promised? And here they are, yet again, under the domination of a foreign power. God, will you rescue us? Will you rescue us? So the stage is set, okay? We, we have a nation gathering, wondering if God has forgotten what he promised to do in the nation. And we have a man now who is in uh, the holy place at the altar of incense, wondering if God is able maybe to provide him with a child. Has God forgotten what he has promised. Is he faithful to do what he said? Now, watch what happens in verse 11. And there appeared to him, to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord. So as he's in the holy place at the altar of incense, an angel of the Lord appears before him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Well, yeah, it did. He wasn't expecting that, was he? Probably not. And Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now, what prayer has been heard? Well, look at what he says. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. 
and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God has heard their cries, hasn't he? God has heard their cries. He's heard, in verse 13, Zechariah's cry for a child, right? He's heard his cry. Now, we don't know if he prayed for a child while he was at the altar of incense, or if this is just an ongoing prayer that he and Elizabeth had prayed for years and years. Or, Or maybe they had stopped praying it altogether because they had lost hope. We don't know. All we know is that one of the prayers that God answers in this moment, in this prophecy, is the prayer for a child, for Zechariah and his wife. But those outside would have also been praying for a deliverer. And so in this moment, God is about to answer, uh, it's a two-for-one deal. God's about to answer two prayers in one go. Because wrapped up in this prayer for a child is the answer to the cry of a nation. This child is going to be special. The two are going to meet This child is going to be the final prophet, the second Elijah in verse 17. It's a reference to Malachi chapter 4, where Malachi prophesies that one is going to come before the deliverer comes. So when you see the second Elijah preparing the way, get ready, because that means that the deliverer, the promised one, is not far behind. And the angel says, your son is going to be that guy. He's going to be the one who prepares the way for the deliverer. And so joy is going to come because John's ministry is going to introduce salvation to God. Uh, Sorry, salvation, the salvation of God to his people. This child is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. What an incredible thing. Now, the people outside, they don't recognize the significance of what is going on inside. Maybe they've prayed it a thousand times. God, would you send the deliverer? Would you please send the deliverer? Maybe they prayed it a thousand times before, seemingly to deaf ears. But here's the thing. Now is the time. Now is the time. Maybe you've heard it said before, God is seldom early, but he's never late, right? They've prayed it a a, a thousand times before, but now is the moment. Now is the moment when God is going to begin the process of sending the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one that he had promised. And listen, this is the message of, of Christmas, that God has heard, that God hasn't forgotten And this is the hope that we see at Christmas, that amidst the chaos in our world, there is one who is in control, who is guiding all things. Amidst the distress, 
There is one who brings comfort. And comfort is coming uh, in the birth of that child, right? We're reminded of that at Christmas. Amidst the, the noise all around us, there is one who hears, who doesn't ignore the pleas of our heart. When it looks like we're all alone and God's promises are worthless, they're not worth the paper they're written on, Christmas tells us otherwise. The birth of Jesus tells us something different. It tells us that God will never forget his promises to his people. He will never forget his promises to his people. See, we can expect God to come through as he's promised. Because that's the kind of God he is. And we can look to the birth of that baby in the manger as proof that God never forgets his promises to his people. He never forgets, but sometimes his people have to wait, don't they? God is always faithful to his promise in his time, but sometimes we have to wait, don't we? Well, Zechariah had to wait. Look in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Zechariah doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. He doesn't believe. You know, it's one of those things where this is, this is too good to be true, isn't it? And so uh, the, the angel uh, is going to give him a down payment of sorts in verse 18. He's going to take away his speech and probably, as we get later into the text, probably his hearing as well as a sign that, he, that what he saw really just happened, that God really did just make this promise to him and make this announcement to him. And the people outside, they had to wait. They had to wait for Zechariah to come out from the temple, and they're, they're worried about him, right? Anytime a priest would go into uh, the, the temple, there was worry because, okay, is, is God going to be pleased with him? Maybe God's going to strike him down. And so they're worried uh, when he comes out, but he comes out with this, uh, with, with this silence, this child uh, that was going to be born, and yet they had to wait, they had to wait. Now look over in verse 57. In verse 57, the, the, the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth. She gives birth to a son. 
They ask, they ask Elizabeth, what's the name? And she says, it's going to be John. And they said, well, wait a minute. Nobody in your family is named John. Don't you, don't you want it to be Zechariah Jr.? And she's like, no, it's going to be John. Uh, and they, they inquire of the, the, the father. They inquire of, of Zechariah. And as he writes, he says, no, his name is John. And so then uh, the, the story ends in verse 66. And they say, what then will this child be? What will this child be? So they have to wait. They have to wait for this child to grow in order to accomplish what God has given him to accomplish. But the child is here. And this is where we find ourselves in the story. That we are waiting too, aren't we? We find ourselves as recipients of promises that we have to wait to realize, don't we? We have these promises of God's, uh, in God's word that haven't come about yet. We have the promise of eternal rest. We have the promise of eternal communion in the presence uh, of God. We have the promise for, for an eternal deliverance from the very presence of, of sin in his presence. And the, the absence of pain the absence of death. And those are nice things, and we long for those things, but they're not here yet, are they? We get tastes of them from time to time, but they're not here in a permanent sense. And so we have the promises of salvation uh, through a shop window. We, we enjoy them, and they are ours, but we have to wait to take full possession of them until our Savior returns. And so we wait, and so we wonder, is God going to come through? Is he really able to do these things? Will he be faithful to keep his promises? Has he forgotten? And then this is the great thing about Advent. And listen, this is why we, we interrupt our normal rhythm at this time of year, because this gives us a, a kind of regular reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. And so we come into this season carrying all this baggage with only the promise of the end to come. And yet here we stop and we turn our attention to the past, to a stable and a baby that was born there. And in doing that, we remind ourselves that God is always faithful. And here's the thing. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again. If he was faithful then, and we remind ourselves that he was, if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again. And we can trust him to be faithful. Advent reminds us that we must wait in hope, but that's okay because he's coming. He's good for it. We can trust him. It reminds us of that by assuring us that we can wait in hope because God never forgets his promises to his people. And so look, we might feel like we're hanging by a thread, right? You ever felt like that? I'm hanging by a thread. But here's the thing. It's a thread that God has spun. And so it can bear our weight. We can continue to trust because God is always faithful to his promises. That's what Christmas tells us. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again. And so at Christmas, at Advent, 
We have the opportunity to exercise our, 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 our faith muscles. We have the opportunity to, to exercise ourselves in the discipline of remembering. Because it's as we stop and remember God's faithfulness in the past that we have the courage to continue on in hope in the future. That's what Christmas does for us. Our world thinks a lot about Christmas, but the problem is they don't think rightly uh, about it. And we can get swept away into the same wrong thinking. And look, how you might choose to celebrate Christmas, that's not my concern. But we're going to celebrate the incarnation of God as a statement that something more important is going on at Christmas than just gifts and food and tinsel. As nice as those things are. But we're also going to celebrate it as a reminder of the great hope that we have because God took on flesh and entered our story in order to die the death that we deserved. He came through on his promise. And we're going to hang on to that because that gives us hope and courage. Because if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again. So listen, I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you're tempted to give up and resign yourself that God has forgotten you. And maybe this could be a time, a season where you could stop and reflect that God never forgets. He never forgets his people. And maybe it would rekindle in you a hope that would give you the courage to continue to persevere in faith. He never forgets. And yes, we wait, but we wait in hope because God is good for it. I want to end with the reading that Will read, Zechariah's prophecy. This is our, our, our God. He, he's faithful, and, and because he's been faithful once, we can trust that he will always be faithful. Listen to the words of Zechariah in verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. For Zechariah, the birth of this child is the beginning of God's faithfulness 
in bringing about the deliverer that he's promised. God is always faithful to his people. And that's what we look to at Christmas. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again. And listen, if you're here today and Christmas for you has just been a, a number on a calendar, maybe today would be the day where you see the significance of the baby that was born on Christmas Day. The Savior of the world. The one who came in order to die for your sin. To make payment for your sin and to take your curse. And maybe today would be the day that you would stop and place all of your trust in that baby who grew to be a man who died on a cross for you. Let's pray. Father, as we think uh, in this time about your faithfulness to your promise, we pray that you would encourage our hearts. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, We thank you, Father, all of the things that we mentioned at the beginning of our time together from Psalm 36, Father, that you are the fountain of life. We thank you for all of that. We thank you most of all for Jesus who came in order to take our curse that through faith in him we might have the light of life that you promise. So Father, we pray that you would be at work in us. And as we enter into this time, this season of reflection, Father, we pray that you would encourage our hearts that we might continue to persevere in our faith as we look forward to the sure second coming of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you are always faithful to your promises. And even if we have to wait, we wait in hope, knowing that you will come through doing what you said you would do. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.